Hello and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We pray that as you listen to this message, it helps you grow closer to God and inspires you to live like Jesus. Thanks for listening. Here's the message. Hey, in uh, Colossians, in chapter 1, there's, uh, you know, there's, we, we read about the supremacy of Christ, and we find this out about Jesus. For God in his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. So this is a really kind of big thought that's a poor adjective, but big is all I could think of. So, but I, I wish I could have thought of something more eloquent or elaborate. But for God in all his fullness, the fullness of who God is, is seen in the person of Christ. That's, that's wild to me. So I think it's important that as we go to stories where we see Jesus speak and act and, and talk and love and serve, it's not only just like, yeah, there's the father, he's the big mean guy, and then there's Jesus who's really sweet and kind. No, it, they're a picture of each other. There's consistency in their character in their heart. It's God, right? So what I love about this story is not only today will we see the character of Jesus, but we learn about God's heart for his creation. Just want to read this again. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross we see the fullness of God in the person of Jesus. So considering that, I want to turn to Luke 7. I preached on this passage almost a year ago, and I felt like preaching it again. So here we are, Luke 7, verse 36. It says this. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus. Remember, the Pharisees are religious leaders of the day. They're dogmatic. They're, all, they're concerned with ritual, keeping things appropriate and in line. They want to f- obey the laws. And uh, I don't know, I think they're convinced themselves that they can actually keep all those laws perfectly, which we know is just foolish. We're all polluted by the good old disease called sin. Amen. So praise God for Jesus. Okay, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home, sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet. And she wiped them off with her hair, and then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Excuse me, when the Pharisees who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. She's a sinner. Um, I want to pray and and then I'm going to preach. Father, we love you so much. As we go to your word, as we uh, learn about who Jesus is and how he sees his creation, I just pray that our hearts would be receptive. Holy Spirit, till the soil of our heart. Help it to be fertile ground to receive the seed of your word. Your word, it's, it's alive and active. It's transformational. So I just pray that you would open our hearts, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Help us to not just hear your word, but help us to live it out. Uh, we want to honor you with our lives. We want to live as a company of kingdom people. And I pray this church would continue to foster kids in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I went to a basketball game with my dad when I was about 
four or, no, when I was in about four, fourth or fifth grade. And the game wraps up. We're at Ohio, it's Ohio State college basketball game. I lived in Ohio at the time. And awesome game, awesome experience. We're in an arena that's really similar to JQH. Y'all been in JQH, Missouri State's uh, arena. So, you know, there's these wide hallways that kind of wrap around the entirety of the arena. And anytime you go into a bathroom, it's something like that. There's kind of like the zigzag so you can't see into the bathroom. There's thousands of people walking around. It's a big space. But every, you know, couple of hundred of feet or whatever, there's a family bathroom, right? Family bathroom where you just open the door. It's a big space. Uh, they have the changing table when your kids poop themselves and puke on themselves and all that. It's, uh, you know, the more kids I get, the more and more I need the family bathroom. Praise God. Praise God. Whoever invented the family bathroom, praise God for that person. So I can see a bunch of moms like, yes, amen, glory. Yeah. So... We get done. I got to go to the bathroom. So the game's over. There's thousands of people leaving this game. And uh, my dad's trying to get to the car and we're soaring through the crowd. And we just, we just missed the bathroom. So we're, I'm like, he's like, well, just go ahead and use that family bathroom right there. I'm like, okay. So I go, he's like, I'll just wait here for you. I'm like, okay. So I walked into the family bathroom. I opened the door and there is a guy <laughs> sitting on the toilet. And his two kids are looking at him. And I'm like, you know, there's, in these instances, there's fight, flight, and freeze. It would be weird for me to start fighting them, right? <laughs> I should have I fleed the scene. I'm frozen. Just stuck. My dad said I turn around and look at him. My eyes are this big. But you have to remember, there's thousands of people walking behind me. And I just got the door open. And the guy, <laughs> the guy sitting on the toilet going, no, 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 no. I'm scarred. I need prayer. My eyes still burn when I think about it. Oh, you know, it's a playful example, but for good reason, I know what it's like to be unwanted in a room. I've experienced it firsthand. Rightfully so, I was unwanted in that room. You know, but if we were to be honest, oh, something I wanted to do really quick, this week we, we put in a camera over here in the corner of the room. We've created some overflow space. So I didn't want to just greet the room. I also wanted to greet overflow so y'all feel included. Uh, and if there's nobody in there, I don't think there was last service. Kids check in. We love you guys. Enjoy the sermon. Enjoy the sermon. So, you know, that's a, that's a playful example, but if I was to be honest, I think there's times in church circles, in religious circles, uh, the Christian circles where we can feel like I'm, I'm not spiritual enough to be in the room. Uh, I don't know enough to, to meet with them or to show up to that life group or to converse with other believers. I don't even, I don't really pray that much. I don't really know that much about God. I haven't really read my Bible much or I'm too broken. I'm, I'm too messed up. I wouldn't fit in. I don't belong with this crowd. I don't think there's a spot for me at that table. And if, and if I think sometimes we can think if people really knew who I was, they would understand what a hypocrite I am sitting right here. And um, I just felt like it was important considering that the fullness of God is seen and represented in the person of Jesus. I just wanted to take time on the, on the Sunday after Easter 
to observe the character of Christ and his heart for his creation. And I think we see it in this story. Every time I read this story, I'm encouraged. So uh, let's go to Luke's gospel here, as we already were. Luke 7, verse 36. We witness in this moment this specific event that, considering the culture of the day, is audacious, almost scandalous. It's crazy. So Luke 7, 36, and I'll, I'll break that down. I'll get into some of that. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. Now, if you spend any time in the Gospels, you know that there are times where Jesus' relationship with the Pharisees is often just downright tense. Jesus' sharpest, harshest words are targeted towards the religious crowd often. There's times where he calls them children of the devil, uh, calls them snakes. Those aren't kind names necessarily, but I think he's using hyperbole. Um, we can recognize that the Pharisees also, they're not huge fans of Jesus. And I think it's because Jesus doesn't have any problem confronting the Pharisees on their legalistic, dogmatic, religious burdens that they've placed on other people that they're just probably not even fulfilling themselves. So I find it unusual in this moment that a Pharisee would actually ask Jesus to attend a dinner because that's just not consistent with the relationship we normally see between Jesus and those religious leaders. It, it, it's unusual. So maybe Simon, um, I don't know, maybe he wants a closer look. This is Simon's the name of the Pharisee who invited Jesus. Maybe he wants a closer look at Jesus. Maybe he's curious about this man's divine ability as he hears about people being healed and restored. And yeah, he spit in the mud and rubbed mud on these dudes' eyes. And, and then the dude could see, maybe he's heard the stories. He's saw the crowds that are following him. There's buzz. There's, you know, Jesus has, uh, there's clout around the person of Jesus. I don't know. Maybe he's just uh, blown away by the authority that Jesus teaches with. And he wants to learn more and he wants to sit down and pick his brain. I don't know. But the Pharisees invite Jesus to a dinner. And we may not fully understand why, but as we continue to read this passage, we find out a little bit more about the specifics of this dinner and the context of this dinner. And we find out that it's a banquet style. It's a more of a formal dinner that's hosted by the religious leaders. Other translations, they make it known that Jesus reclined at the table with them. And that clues us into the fact that this is a specific kind of dinner where there's, uh, with these Pharisees specifically, these Pharisees are ritual observing Pharisees. So part of what makes these moments so intimate, so set apart, makes these moments holy, this dinner kind of bougie is the fact that they're ritually pure. They've been purified, they're clean, at least in their own eyes. They've gone through the motions and the rituals to make sure that they're fit to sit at the table. To have someone in attendance who was ritually unclean would be an utter disruption to this gathering. And it was in this kind of setting that not only was community provided and conversation provided, but it was also a common space for intellectual, profound, philosophical, maybe at times even theological thought and dialogue to happen and to be exchanged, okay? This dinner is high class, it's eloquent. Uh, 
So maybe Simon has invited Jesus to this dinner to pick his brain on some of the teaching he heard Jesus. I don't know. What we know, though, is it's aristocratic, it's elegant, it's sophisticated, and it's uncontaminated by those who are unclean and unworthy, right? You know, it's my prayer that the church doesn't look anything like this. My fear is sometimes in, in Christ, environments Christians create, or maybe it's not even that Christians create them, but it's what new believers, young believers, even non-believers, what they assume in their head, or maybe based off certain experiences they've had, they, they feel like they don't belong, or they can't belong, or they're not good enough, or essentially they're just, they're not clean enough. And I've experienced that. I don't know about you, but maybe there's been a time where you rolled up to a life group and everyone's talking about a story in the scriptures and you're like, I have no idea. I hardly read my Bible. Like I remember when I rolled up to Evangel University as a freshman in college, I, I get into this group of friends and all, I can tell these kids have spent lots of time in youth group and they've read their Bible and they probably pray. And I'm like, not that I don't love Jesus, but I just really haven't developed those spiritual disciplines in my life. And I just feel like if they really found out who I was and if they knew the struggles that I had, they would have no interest in being friends with me and I wouldn't fit the mold and I wasn't really good enough. I, so I felt like constantly there was this pressure to put on this facade. With this friend group, I'd act this way. With this friend group, I'd act another way. And it was just like I had to bounce between the two people. And I don't know, have you ever felt that? Like, I just don't think I'll, I'll fit. I don't think I'm good enough. I don't think I'm qualified. But we have to understand if we're a church that only lets clean people sit at the table, we'll miss the whole mission that Jesus came for, which was to be a hospital for the sick, not a social club for the clean, right? So here they are. They're having a formal dinner in the middle of a, of a rich conversation. Who knows what they're even saying? And the door busts open. Conversation starts. They hear the wind blow. The door flaps open, slams against the wall. Everybody turns and they look. And it's the, it's the local prostitute. It's an immoral woman. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't, don't you know where this dinner is? Whoa, you, whoa, 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 what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Who let her in? I, I just wonder if maybe everybody, they're, they're in such utter shock as this door opens and they see who it is. They're just, they can't even talk with each other. The room goes quiet, room goes silent. They're just, all attention's turned. But she's walking in. And as we read the text, we'll see she's got a jar of perfume in her hand, weeping. Bawling. She doesn't look at anybody else in the room. She just sees Jesus. And I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know if she's heard Jesus preach. I don't know if maybe he's engaged with her before this. I don't know if it's just the Holy Spirit has convicted her. She finds out where Jesus is. She gets the most expensive thing she owns. This is like, like this is, this is, this is everything I got. So she, in one hand, she has her perfume. Other hand, she's wiping her tears away so she can see. She walks in the room. Everybody's still quiet. And, and it's funny, as, as, as we look at the text, which we will in just a second, you, you can see that Simon, in his head, he's thinking, Who, why are you here? This, you're not supposed to be here. <laughs> like, you didn't, you didn't, you're not, you're not on the level. We're not on the level that we're on. What, what are you doing? You're a sinner. And we, and we can't, so this is me, you know, 
I'm not trying to say that this exists, but I could just see as Jesus sees this woman walking towards him. Remember, the fullness of God is represented in the person of Jesus, the heart of the Father, right? I could just see him thinking, Simon's thinking that, but Jesus is thinking, there you are, girl. Yeah, it's okay, it's okay. Come here, I love you so much. I'm glad you're here. Let's look at the text. Luke 7, 37. It says, When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume, and then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her, her tears fell on his feet, and then she wiped them off with her hair, and she just kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, so maybe he didn't even say it out loud, just thinking in his own head, if this man were really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman's touching him. She's a sinner. And then Jesus answered his thoughts. You gotta love it. Simon, I have something to say to you. He says, go ahead, teacher. Just when Simon's on the verge of maybe actually being convinced that Jesus, maybe he's just a prophet, maybe he is the Messiah, maybe he is just a man who has some crazy spiritual ability as he's growing in his understanding of who this is, as he's having interaction with him at the table, he, you know, all of a sudden he's about to throw it all out the window because he's like, if that's really who you were, she's not good enough for God. So you wouldn't interact with her if you were who you say you are, who others say you are. He watches Jesus fail to stop the immoral woman from approaching him. But what Simon doesn't know is we serve a God that loves to be approached. We serve a God that has invited us to come as we are. There was an immoral woman in the town and she came as she was. He loves for us to come as we are because he knows I have the ability to make you new. It's what I do. We serve a God who has poured out compassion on us. He desires that nothing hold us back from pouring out our adoration on him. We serve a creator that wants nothing created before him. Not doubt or fear or insecurity or legalism, any of that. He, he wants us to, to be so in love with him that we'll take our most prized possessions, pour it on his feet and say, there's nothing better than you, God. Nothing more valuable to me than you, God. I, I love you more than my actions could ever express. I I'm dirty, I'm unworthy, but you inhabited the earth for me. You went to the cross for me. You made a way for me. There's no, for no other reason other than the fact that you love me, Lord. You've done for me what no one else could do. You've given me everything. So you can have my plans, you can have my family, you can have my finances and my marriage and my desires and my friendships. My whole life is yours. What I got ain't much, but you can have it all. You know, this woman, she has the audacity to swing open the door, throw off the fear of man, break the social customs, risk public humiliation to get to the lover of her soul. Again, text doesn't tell us how she knew. Or, or why she's so broken. Um, 
So, so we can insinuate maybe she's had interactions with Jesus. If this is Mary, uh, if this is Mary, Jesus, this is one of her friends. We don't know, but maybe the spirits has convicted her. We don't know, but we do know she doesn't let anything hold her back from approaching his feet. And I just wonder if, if there's people who on the outside looking in are metaphorically, uh, uh, you're scared to enter the room. Man, I want to be with Jesus. I want to serve Jesus. I want to be Christian. I want to do this Jesus thing, but what do people think? I know how broken I am. I know how messed up I am. Maybe some of y'all feel like I felt on a Christian campus. You, You look around the room. Maybe you come on Sundays. You look around the room, and you see pretty people, with well-behaved kids and nice cars and their house is probably clean like their white teeth. and We look at them and we think, yeah, I totally get Jesus loves them. I totally get why Jesus would love them, but that's not me. Some of y'all have been standing outside the house looking in in your eyes watching Jesus eat with clean people standing outside the door, desperate to be with him too. But everyone's labeled you. Maybe you've labeled yourself. And and if his so-called followers think this about you, he probably thinks that about you too. But if you only knew how bad Jesus wanted you to walk in the room... But Jesus, you don't know what I've done. Jesus, you, you, don't, know, you don't know how I've hurt people. Jesus, you don't, you don't know what I did this week. Jesus, you don't. But the heart of the Father, which is seen in Jesus, does Jesus rebuke her? Is Jesus embarrassed by her? No. She comes in the room, and he actually makes efforts to defend her presence there and doesn't just defend her presence, but actually celebrates her efforts to worship him. Simon says she's a sinner. But what Simon doesn't understand is her being a sinner doesn't disqualify her from approaching Jesus. It actually validates her reason for being at his feet. So Jesus makes effort to explain this to Simon, which is so good. Anytime Jesus tells a parable, I just... I don't know, I just love it. Jesus is a great storyteller. He uses parables, they're earthly stories, and he uses them to communicate uh, heavenly principles, essentially. So let's look. Uh, Matthew 7, verse 41. Then Jesus told Simon this story, and he's answering Simon's thoughts. So remember, he just said, he just says, Simon, I have something I want to tell you. He goes, okay, teacher, tell me what you got. So then Jesus told him a story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces to the other. 550. One one amount is significantly larger, right? 550. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. He looks at Simon, he asks, who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right. You're a genius, Simon, then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them. Kim, you can come if you don't mind. 
with her tears and, and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I'll tell you, her sins, and there are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And the men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? Because it was strange for a human to assume authority that allowed them to forgive the sins of other people. But this is the fullness of the Father and the fullness of the Son as they are a reflection of each other. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Not your performance, not being ritually clean, not having it all together, but your belief in the fact that I am sufficient for you has saved you. And we know that faith is genuine and we know that faith is authentic. We can see it in her actions. Jesus said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So I can get up on this stage and preach holy live until I'm blue in the face and I'm, I'm passionate about it. I think it's essential in the life of a believer. But until we catch the revelation that our, that our righteous living is a response to what we've received and it's not something we do to receive salvation from him, we're probably gonna always feel like we can't come in the room because Paul told us, hey, y'all fall short of the glory of God. Paul essentially single-handedly through the power of the Spirit changed the whole New Testament world. Yet he said, I got this thorn in my side. Paul literally said in Romans 7, he goes, man, I love God's law with all my heart, yet I, I, I can't, yet I, yet I do what I don't want to do. Regardless of what you've done, regardless of where you've been, who you are, Jesus would never rebuke you for coming in the his heart and we know it's true because Jesus sent his son to us in efforts to bring us to himself Jesus wasn't disgusted by this woman Jesus wasn't insecure or embarrassed by this woman Jesus loves when we let nothing stop us from pursuing him he loves when we come in the room and that's a part of what these baptisms are representing today people who are publicly declaring hey I don't have it all together but I got a God who's covered it for me. I got a God who's so good, he made way for me. And my life is his, and I'm devoted to him. You know, when I read the story of the immoral woman who approached Jesus' feet, I'm encouraged and I'm challenged. I'm encouraged by the response of Jesus. I'm encouraged by the heart of the Father for his creation. It's encouraging to me because I know how messed up I am, okay? Yet he says, your sins are forgiven. But I'm, I'm challenged by her actions to so radically pursue the things of God. I think there's, in her display of faith, I think there's a lesson for us in there. 
Thank you for listening to today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Destiny Church, how to get connected, or give online, visit destinychurch.me. Have a great week.